Welcome on in to this episode of Rethink Reshoring. I'm Kaylee Nix here with Rosemary Coates from the Reshoring Institute. We're super excited to have you guys back with us again today to talk a little bit about a very, very interesting topic. Rosemary, it's been about two weeks since we've been together. We had our Freight Waves Future of Supply Chain last weekend, which was awesome. If all those folks missed it in Cleveland, we really wish that you were there. So it's good to be back again to talk a little bit about global counterfeiting. How are things going for you today, first off? Ah, pretty good. Good to see you, Kaylee. Good to see you as well. And so let's dig right into it. Our topic of the day, global counterfeiting. And this is something that we kind of loosely touched on back in some of our previous episodes. But today we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive into counterfeits and why they're so problematic, how that all relates back in with reshoring and nearshoring practices. So to get us started, Let's take a little bit of a broad overview of global counterfeits. What is counterfeiting? It's more than just typical fakes, right? Yeah, absolutely. So when, when we think about counterfeiting, we we generally think about, you know, somebody selling watches or purses on a street corner in New York City, something like that. Um, but it's way more than that. In fact, um, counterfeiting is a huge problem across most industries. Uh, and in, is particularly problematic in things like electronics and um, and other component parts of greater um, machinery, for example, uh, aeronautics. Uh, you know, there's a lot of electronics in the avionics. I, I think about this every time I get on an airplane, I buckle my seatbelt and I think, oh, man, I, I hope there's no counterfeits in the avionics systems. Like counterfeits are truly a problem everywhere and are very difficult to control uh, because the counterfeiters have gotten so good at um, at counterfeiting products. They look exactly the same and may test the same and really uh, difficult to tell until it breaks down, that part breaks down or uh, is faulty, say in your automobile and you have a faulty auto part um, and turns out that it's a counterfeit. Um, and so, you know, it can be dangerous. Um, it certainly is uh, bad for businesses that are branded and is a huge problem worldwide. So in the U.S., the statistics say there's um, about $100 billion annually of counterfeits that are sold in America. $100 billion. Holy cow. Uh, and worldwide, OECD, which is a big um, economic uh, think tank out of Paris, Worldwide, they say that counterfeiting is $2.3 trillion a year. So, you know, it's a huge, huge problem everywhere. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, we typically think counterfeits with small line consumer goods, but it's that place where they go into the electronics, into these big systems that are people aren't necessarily aware of by the time that it becomes truly dangerous, like you mentioned. I've got to wonder if we see a lot of global counterfeiting specifically in our manufactured goods or in our avionics, electronics, when we start to lose visibility in sight in our supply chains, right? We have some of these longer tailed supply chains. Maybe you outsource some of your production to an outside manufacturer, and then they end up actually outsourcing that production to somebody else, right? Is that where we start to see this chain of counterfeit start? Yeah, I think primarily it's in tier two and tier three and tier four suppliers. So 
you may be buying from a supplier, um, you know, in, in China, but they are buying their parts and components from another supplier or, um, you know, they're actually manufacturing something offline or um, in what we would call gray market situations. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a real problem um, for all kinds of components of the supply chain and needs to be very carefully managed. So you really need to dig down and through your supply chain, not just your direct suppliers, but the supplier suppliers and so forth, all the way back to raw materials in order to, to make sure that you don't have counterfeits. And that is very difficult, if not impossible. Um, so the way most companies do it is they test for uh, counterfeits and test for product quality when it comes into uh, the receiving dock. So if you're manufacturing goods in the U.S., you have a receiving dock and inspect incoming inspection, and they would inspect the parts there. And then, you know, uh, counterfeits are also sold very widely on uh, so on um, um, various platforms like eBay, and eBay is particularly bad on counterfeits, and also um, Amazon. So, you know, statistics say that about 20% of things you buy on Amazon, uh, keep this in mind, 20%, right? One in five of the products you buy on Amazon are likely to be fake of some kind or another. And you don't know that. You just, you can't tell. And so, uh, you know, this has become such a huge problem, not not only for, um, you know, how a fake operates. So, I mean, if you're buying a, a purse, for example, or a scarf or, you know, a brand name watch or something, and it's a counterfeit, well, maybe that's not going to harm anybody. Uh, except it does harm the company. So the company who expected to make, let's say, a, a brand name um, a Louis Vuitton handbag expected to make $1,000 on that sale. Instead of that, um, in the sell a counterfeit in a, through a different company, and Louis Vuitton doesn't make any revenue. It's a counterfeiter that gets that revenue. Uh, and so there's, you know, these enormous losses by the big brand names also. So when it comes to the reasoning behind counterfeiting, we had that list that was up there just now. And what you just mentioned kind of turns into the profit opportunity of that, right? And profit opportunity and the bargain hunting, the procurement incentivized by savings, those two things really go hand in hand, right? If you are someone who is looking to maybe increase your margins while cutting corners and you ethically don't feel terrible about that, which we can debate the ethics about that later, but if you ethically don't feel bad about it, you're going to be doing it for that profit-driven reason. And for that, a lot of companies, as you mentioned, like Amazon, will typically allow this counterfeiting to happen even if they know about it because the platform like an Amazon is a reputable platform, doesn't necessarily care if its sellers are 100% reputable as long as its consumers well, keep coming back. Is that correct? Yeah. So Amazon has a very active counterfeiting group that uh, looks for counterfeits online. So when they're reported or somebody figures out this is not the real thing or the brand comes back and says, you've got counterfeits, somebody's selling counterfeits, they take down those sites. So they're pretty active about it. The problem is it's really hard to control originally. So when somebody posts a, a product on Amazon for sale, um, particularly their marketplace issues, 
um, you know, it takes them a while to figure out if that's real or not real. So there's, you know, there's lots of issues there, but Amazon has taken a very active role in trying to correct that. Um, eBay is another place. Alibaba, if you are in Asia, Alibaba is kind of the eBay of, or the Amazon of Asia. Um, you know, if you look there, there are counterfeits online there. It's, they all have um, kind of policies and an attempt at tracking these things. It's just that they're so incredibly hard because they look exactly alike or they, they seem to be legitimate, but you just don't know. And, you know, it's, it's great. I mean, we'd like to advocate for having everything come back to the U.S. and manufacture here, but we actually have counterfeits in the U.S. as well. So it's a problem here. Although we have laws that are a little bit more protective and uh, stronger so you can go out after counterfeiters. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's a huge problem on these sites. And then you mentioned profit motive. The, the other component to that is when you have um, an industrial buyer uh, who is buying parts for your company. So they're buying nuts and bolts and metal and all the things you need, component parts you need to assemble a product. Uh, they are incented, the buyer is incented on how much savings they produce for the company that year. So if I'm an industrial buyer and my performance um, is going to be based on how much I saved for the company, I have to keep track of that savings and so forth. If I can find something online uh, or from a supplier that's 10% cheaper and appears to be the same product, well, I'm going to go and buy that cheaper product and um, and add it to my savings pile for the year because that's the way I get promoted or bonused or incentivized. So it's really important that senior management also uh, focuses on potential counterfeits and rewards buyers who find those counterfeits and avoid buying them. So you know, there's a there's a piece of this that has to do with um, internal politics and internal policies and procedures um, to help buyers, industrial buyers, not just go after every bargain, but also make sure that what they're buying is legitimate. And that's when we get into that ethics piece, which is, of course, very much up for debate. Let's talk a little bit about a gray market good and what the gray market is and the difference between that and counterfeit goods. Yeah, so there's some confusion here. So there's basically counterfeits. That means some company, you know, down the road or in another city has produced the same product and they've labeled it with your label, even though it's not authorized to do that. That's a that's a straight counterfeit. But there are also many companies, and this happens particularly in China, um, where uh, at an off um, time, say the overnight shift or um, on the weekend or a special production run, um, they produce the same product on the same uh, line, uh, and it's exactly the same product as your product, uh, but it doesn't have your brand on it. So they may rebrand it to something else and then are able to sell it in the grain market at a cheaper price than, than you would be uh, if you are the main brand holder. So those are called gray market goods, which are um, essentially generic products, um, but they're sold through unauthorized channels. So, you know, this is another problem. And although it may be made on the same pro product line, um, it may be exactly the same product as a legitimate one. Uh, the brand holder or the company that is uh, 
you know, expecting to buy these true goods uh, loses the revenue to these generic brands. So that's that's another issue. And there are lots of ways of correcting this. I mean, there are brand um, uh, organizations within companies that will go after gray market goods, go after their suppliers and um, lock them down, say you can't. You cannot manufacture anything uh, except for our scheduled production on our lines. Uh, or sometimes counterfeits are found in marketplaces, and particularly if, if you've ever been to China, there's lots of these um, counterfeit markets like silk markets and different places where they sell, you know, eight zillion handbags with these big brand names at, you know, a tenth of the cost. Um, so, you know, they may go into a marketplace like that and, and raid the marketplace and shut down the supplier. Uh, so that happens also. You know, I'm not sure that um, goods, like I said, like a scarf or a, uh, a bag, handbag or something like that um, damages, you know, most people. It's, it's strictly the brand name. Where I'm very concerned are in uh, things like electronics and plastics and all kinds of manufactured goods uh, that may be counterfeited or made by uh, in a gray market situation that don't meet specifications. I mean, just think about that. If you've got a, a car and you're driving down the road and uh, you have a counterfeit product that you, you had the car repaired with uh, and it explodes or it fails or, you know, all kinds of things can happen causing an accident. So, you know, that's a problem. Um, cosmetics are another big problem. They're one of the biggest counterfeited goods out there. You buy cosmetics that are counterfeited and who knows what went into them. So you may be putting products on your face or on your body uh, that are counterfeit and have, you know, different chemicals in them. So, you know, there's a, there's potential danger there as well. So, Rosemary, you mentioned the brand detriment aspect to these kinds of things, which oftentimes are what people think of, you know, like with like a Gucci purse or something, right? They think, oh, you buy a, a knockoff and then it comes back that it's fake and my brand reputation is damaged. One of the best examples that I can think of a brand getting in front of that reputation happened just earlier this summer with the brand Lululemon, which makes activewear clothing. And full disclosure, I used to work at Lululemon. I don't work there anymore. That was about a year ago. But the best example of this that I can think of is there has been this kind of push or not necessarily push, but this mass movement by consumers, particularly consumers who are young teenager girls, to go out and buy their leggings. Their leggings are expensive, right? You're looking at paying between 98 and I think their most expensive pair is like $148 for leggings. So naturally, there's brands that like to counterfeit their leggings and it doesn't quite right. live up to the performance, doesn't quite live up to the fabric quality and the standards. You can very much tell that they're dupes or knockoffs, as we like to talk about, right? And for a while, there is there's a policy with Lululemon that's called a quality promise. And part of their policy is that if the garment fails you for whatever reason, if it's within a reasonable amount of time, you can bring it back and exchange it. No cost, no questions asked, yeah. no tags, whatever. They have a quality promise. For a while, we were getting an influx of leggings that we're using for quality promise that were the counterfeit models. So not only are you looking right. at now a brand detriment with people thinking, OK, my Lululemon suck now, like what's going on? But also that's a real cost to the company. They're being brought in fakes and giving out actuals of their product. 
So what they did this summer was they hosted, it was called an Align Swap, where people could bring in their counterfeit leggings that they knew were counterfeits at no cost and get a real pair just swapped out. And that type of thing I think is brilliant if you're looking at a company that is maybe looking for a good marketing strategy to take their known counterfeit or their known dupe problem and get ahead of it, right? And say, okay, we know that this is happening, but we care enough about our consumer to make sure that they get their product and they're felt taken care of. And most of those people who went and swapped their leggings ended up spending money and buying a second pair anyways. Oh, okay. Wow, that's great news. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a very good example because it it damages the brand uh, when you have counterfeits that people think are your brand. Uh, it damages the brand reputation if they don't perform well. Uh, and it's a loss of revenue. I mean, you could have sold that that original product, right? So that's a real problem. Yeah, I do um, expert witness work, as I think I've mentioned before, and I've worked on a couple of brand cases like that. And just there was a, a sunglasses case where um, these high-end sunglasses that were several hundred dollars were being sold through uh, through a, a distributor in Hong Kong, and um, the people that were buying them thought they were the the brand name, and they were like hundred and eighty dollars a pair, so they were shipped direct from Hong Kong to uh, the consumer in the U.S. And they entered U.S. Customs under what's called de minimis. And that's a $800 limit for imports that are not um, essentially examined by U.S. Customs. There's a expedited clearance process and things can be brought in, brought in that are less than $800 um, and they're streamlined import process. So Customs essentially isn't watching that stuff. And so these counterfeits come in under that $800 limit. They're shipped direct to the customer. In this case, the sunglasses were shipped to the customer and they failed. And so exactly like you were talking at Lululemon, uh, this uh, customer in the Bay Area sent the product back to the headquarters in Ohio for the sunglass company. Uh, and that's the first they knew that there were counterfeit, counterfeits, the Sunglasses company said, well, this isn't our product. The lenses aren't correct. And, you know, they, they look like it's our product, but it's not our product. So they found that this uh, company in Hong Kong was selling all these fakes, shipping them to the U.S., slipping through U.S. customs. Uh, and so, of course, eventually they shut them down and, and sued them and so forth. And this was particularly onerous because they were also uh, prescription sunglasses, which are regulated by the FDA. And of course, that's uh, not and another, yeah, in another case, um, there were auto parts for a big German brand name, and uh, they were being shipped via or sold via eBay, uh, and they were counterfeits. And um, once uh, uh, this auto company figured out what was going on, that there were counterfeits being shipped from this company. Uh, they were able to order some from the company, verify that they were counterfeits, and then sued them also. The interesting thing about that case is that it falls under what's called the Lanham Act, um, where uh, companies, anybody in the supply chain um, has liability for handling counterfeits. It's called strict liability. So even if a warehouse, for example, so sometimes, you know, products are brought in in bulk, shipped to a warehouse and then distributed one at a time to customers via order fulfillment at that warehouse. Even though the warehouse had no, um, no 
you know, interaction with the counterfeiters. They were just performing a fulfillment service under the Lanham Act and strict liability. They too are liable. So, um, you know, there it's, you, you can be in deep trouble if you get involved with counterfeits in one way or another, even if you're somewhat unaware that that's what's going on. Let's talk about that just a little bit more in detail. Are we talking about trouble depending on if you are sued and if there's litigation? Or are we talking about legitimate criminal charges in some aspects? Or even if, say, for something like an avionics component was found to have been counterfeit, it resulted in an accident or a crash or bodily injury. Can companies be found liable for that as well? Yeah, it could be both. I, I would say primarily it's commercial. So that means it's um, money involved. Uh, and not so much criminal activity, although it can be criminal activity later if someone is harmed by a by a product or or you know they're trying to find these big rings of counterfeiters. So counterfeiters, uh, it's really interesting because uh, they may be big, you know, big organized crime essentially around the world. A lot of it having to do with uh, drug trafficking, uh, traffic in arms. Um, terrorism. So terrorists have to earn money some way. And so a lot of times they're part of these big uh, counterfeit rings. Um, human trafficking, there's all kinds of things that may be involved with crime and related to counterfeiting. So those kind of things would be um, would be uh, proper for criminal investigation and, and criminal law. Uh, but then there's an awful lot like handbags and, you know, these kind of things that are more commercial. And that means they sue for money. Uh, so, you know, there's both things happening. So we're running up on about three minutes left in our episode today. Let's talk a little bit about some of the fixes for global counterfeiting. I know we touched on the complexity of supply chains being one of the causes. Are we looking at visibility solutions being some of those fixes? Or is reshoring itself and the shortening of those supply chains the opportunity for an action on counterfeits? Yeah, well, reshoring would be great. I mean, if you're manufacturing in the U.S., you have the advantage of taking taking advantage of U.S. laws um, and the restrictions here, and there's there's less counterfeiting. Most of the counterfeits, by the way, come from China. Um, and by and large, they they're producing almost you know like ninety percent of the counterfeits. But as manufacturing is moving out of China, so are the counterfeiters. Um, so, you know, the counterfeiters, if you move to Vietnam, for example, or Malaysia or Mexico, the counterfeiters are moving right along with you. Uh, and so that's, you know, that can be a problem, an ongoing problem. So, you know, we point to China as being uh, the biggest source of counterfeits, but not for long. We're probably going to continue on there. Um, so how do you control this? And one of the most important things, and this is true for a lot of reasons, is to oversee your, your supply chain and your sub-suppliers and your sub-sub-suppliers uh, to make sure that everybody is legitimate along the way. And I don't mean a one-time go in and check it out. You really have to have an ongoing effort in that regard. And then there are some implementation um, authentication technologies. There's um, color shifting inks, there's holograms, um, chemical markers, RFID tags, a lot of things if you have a very expensive product that you want to include in into the product itself to determine whether it's a counterfeit or if it's a true product. <clears throat> and then it's really up to all of us as consumers also 
uh, to make sure that we're we're not getting taken in by counterfeits. Um, so that you know we we want to support these brands and um, and and so you need to be at least hesitant about what you're buying. Uh, make sure that you're buying a legitimate thing. Um, electronics and electronics that's particularly critical. So you may buy, say, a, a charger for your laptop that's a, a counterfeit or gray market good um, or, you know, some kind of unbranded product and you plug it in and it makes your laptop explode, right? I mean, you know what that, right? So, you know, really focusing on the brands and making sure you're getting legitimate products, even though you may have to pay a little bit more, maybe well worth it in the long run. Every time I think about it, I'm like, if it's this cheap, it's probably this cheap for a reason. Rosemary, thank you for joining us today on this episode of Rethink Reshoring. Great place to end it there. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about global labor rates and do some comparison there. So thank you for joining us today. We'll talk to you next week, Rosemary. All right. Thank you. And of course, you can watch us here on Rethink Reshoring on Tuesday afternoons. Thank you guys for tuning in. Go check out the Reshoring Institute at reshoringinstitute.org. You can watch our previous episodes from all of June by heading on over to tv.freightwaves.com and go onto our YouTube page. You can find them there. We'll see you guys next week.